On today's show, I am joined by my friend Wes Morton of Peachtree Hoops to talk about the Atlanta Hawks through 25 games this season. In short, nobody is thrilled with the Hawks right now at 13-12, and 12, but because they are 13-12, and 12, they are still right in the thick of things in the Eastern Conference. We'll cover all of that, the DeJounte Murray injury, and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1365 of the Lotton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday. It's December 8th. And today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs, so if you find the most qualified candidates that you want to talk to and help you do it faster, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. And as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, if you can, not, you're about to hear, if you're listening somewhere else, I am joined on the podcast by my friend, Wes Morton. Hello, sir. How are you? Brad, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Oh, you know, uh, Hawks fans are overjoyed at this moment in time. Oh, yeah. The vibes the vibes are just immaculate right now with Hawks fans. It's been a long couple days. Um, we're recording this show, as I said before, on, on Thursday in between the two games in New York. And unfortunately, that comes with a uh, an injury update, actually. So I normally would do this without, without my guest on the podcast, but Wes knows the deal. Um, DeJounte Murray now has a confirmed left ankle sprain, according to what the Hawks announced earlier today, with some associated swelling. He's going to be out approximately two weeks, what the Hawks said. That was reported as such earlier in the day by Shams, and uh, his return to play will, of course, be updated as appropriate as, uh, as, as it is with, with every single Hawks release. If you do the math on this one, Wes, if DeJounte were to miss exactly two weeks, which I definitely always stress, do not assume he's only going to miss exactly two weeks, but if he does, he would miss seven games. How big of a deal is this? We saw how uh, kind of shaky they look without him on Wednesday. Then we'll kind of get, go, go from there. But obviously not having your second best player for at least two weeks is not great. Yeah, yeah, definitely not great. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be exactly pinpoint precision seven days, <laughs> but, or seven games. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, going to have to make an adjustment. I think you pointed out, like, it's pretty clear last night against the Knicks, you know, they, when DeJounte went down, they were scrambling to figure out how they were going to rotate guys in. Aaron Holiday immediately came in. But, you know, do they stick with Holiday next to Trey to start or um, bring him off the bench? Um, you know, who, who who comes in after Trey when Trey sits? You know, uh, I believe Trent Forrest is questionable for, for the Brooklyn game tomorrow. So he's a possibility at point um, or, or some, some sort of kind of point hybrid role. You probably have to play him with like Aaron Holiday or someone just – just for the extra ball handling, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough blow. Obviously Murray's been kind of, uh, you know, obviously when, when Trey struggles, the, he's having some games where he's struggling st- shooting wise, you know, they can get the ball to Jante. He can um, do some of the same things and run the offense and run a pick and rolls and things. And, you know, that's just not something you trust holiday to do or force to do. Those guys are like off ball guys. Those guys are connectors. So, um, you just got to get the most out of your trade minutes. You may have to stretch them out, you know, play them 36 minutes a game or, or something like that. And, um, you know, defensively, you're also losing your, you know, one of your premier wing defenders on the team. Um, maybe you get DeAndre Hunter back. I saw he was questionable. So, so that could help on the perimeter, but they're also missing John Collins. So Hunter may have to play the four more. He won't be out on perimeter in the same way. So. Yeah, they're just going to have to figure out the, the right rotation. Like I said, I think the answer is to play 
holiday with another guy, uh, whether that's Forrest or whether that's, you know, Bogey who's come back from injury, but he can handle the ball. Um, you, you really don't want to have Aaron holiday as, as just your, your straight backup point and not give him another ball handler in the lineup. So they'll, they'll have to, it may take a game or two to kind of figure out the right rotation for that. But I mean, regardless, it's, it's a big loss. Like you, you just can't lose a guy like Murray and think you're just going to keep it rolling. Yeah, I mean, part of the whole theory of this roster, as we've all discussed for months now, is that you know they're playing all 48 minutes with one of those guys on the floor. Uh, they've been staggering them since moment one. They've, uh, I mean, barring a couple of like early exits for injury purposes, they literally have had every competitive minute of the season with either Trey or Dejounte, and now they can't do that for a while. And they don't have a guy on the roster that really fills that role. Like they've, I think they will use Aaron Holiday, like you just said. I think Nate is going to default to him. He's got experience. He uh, is obviously point guard sized and has has played point guard in his career, but he's basically been a wing on this team. There is the um, added benefit of having Bogey back for some extra ball handling. That Bogey, I think, is still going to be on a minutes restriction as of this weekend. It might go up a little bit, but he's not like he's it's not like it's not like he's full go ready to play thirty five minutes a night either. And without right. Hunter it would be even more challenging. You know, Hunter is questionable, like you just said, along with Forrest. If Hunter's able to play, that makes life a little bit easier on Nate because he could just kind of play AJ at the two more often, have eight, have the ball in his hands a little bit more. That's a little bit more doable. But without Hunter, that means you got to fill 30-plus minutes at the three somewhere, uh, you know, with Culver and Griffin and whatever else you, whatever else you have. And uh, it, it is definitely challenging. You know, they, they tried to lean on Jalen Johnson a lot on Wednesday and then he just fell out of the game in what 15 minutes. And that's not, that's not going to have every night, but he can give you a little, a little bit of ball handling, but clearly it's patchwork and having at least two starters, maybe even three starters out for Friday. Um, but, you know, obviously Collins and Murray both are out for a little while longer. You know, well, the way, the way that I put it on Twitter today, was like, look, even if you step back from and you and I are going to dive into kind of what the team has been so far this year through 25 games, but if you kind of step away from that and just think, all right, this roster as it is right now, if you just take, DeJounte Murray and John Collins off this team, they're not very good, man. Like the roster's not very good. And that's part of that's part of the deal with it with a long NBA season. But depth was already a question. And if you take off two of your four or five best players at the same time, and that's before you even get to Hunter, like not there's not a lot of teams in the league that would be great to set up for that. But the Hawks, I think, are even more penalized by it because of their lack of depth and also just lack of creation besides Drew. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. It's something I pointed out. I mean, the depth is you know they they coming into the season they they're definitely not as deep as they had been the the, the two previous seasons. Um, they didn't they only go much beyond nine or ten guys deep. So uh, especially you lose two of your starters, possibly a third. Um, yeah, I mean they had some guys like kind of been in and out of the rotation. You know, guys you, you thought were going to at least come off the bench every every game. Justin Holiday has, has had his moments when he struggled and. Um, you're relying on a lot of young guys. I mean, you think about obviously AJ's a rookie. He's, he's going to have his good games, going to have his bad games. Last night he didn't shoot so well, but I mean, you got to just rely on that guy to, to, to play through those ups and downs. You got Jalen Johnson, who's, who's functionally a rookie, didn't really play much last year. So, yeah, uh, Kong was kind of in his second season and, and sort of the same day, and he didn't play a lot in his first year. Um, beat crazy. Second-year player didn't play too much with the Thunder, so and you're relying on a lot of young guys. Um, you know that that's that's just going to give you like a lot of kind of um, you know variance in how they play. They're going to have some some great games. They're going to have some not so great games. And but the Hawks don't really have any options at this moment. Um, 
Like, yeah. I mean, like you said, you take away, you take away Collins, you take away Murray. Like this is just not that good a team. This this team's looking at the lottery if you're missing those guys the whole season. Yeah, I mean, at a minimum, I think you might be hoping for like the like the ten seed if that was your actual roster. And that's with a lot of credit to guys like Trey and Clint for being really good because otherwise, you know, the roster, all due respect to guys like Culver and Vic Krejci, but those guys are not like rotation guys right now on a, on a good team. They're just, they have to, they kind of have to be right now because of where the Hawks are. So um, I'm not I, I, sort of at the expense of doing a full fledged Nets preview for tomorrow. Uh, the Nets are actually super healthy, which is a, uh, not great for the Hawks. Everybody's right. going to be there. Kevin Durant's uh, going to play. Kyrie Irving's going to play. Ben Simmons is going to be back. Um, and uh, if you were drawing up an opponent in the lab um, to not want to play right now, it's probably uh, having Kevin Durant on the other side. Now, granted, if Hunter plays, that would be helpful, and he might go because he's questionable. But if he doesn't go, I- I'm not even sure, sure how they even deal with Durant. I think you're going to obviously see some combination of, like, Culver and – Justin Holiday, maybe even Jalen Johnson for size, but like they don't have any great options on KD because nobody does, but especially because obviously it would be Hunter if Hunter is around, but I'm not sure he's going to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a great, not a great opponent to go against. Uh, I mean, the Hawks are already, you know, pretty small as is. And, um, you know, Durant, Durant has definitely torched the Hawks in the past and he torches a lot of teams in the past, but yeah, they're not particularly built for this. I mean, yeah. just kind of got to, um, you may have to honestly rely on a lot of you know kind of zone defense to be quite honest. Um, the the Nets one one thing about the Nets is the very centralized offense around KD and Kyrie. Um, you can kind of hide guys on you know a Royce O'Neal or sometimes a Ben Simmons. You know those guys aren't high usage; they're not going to really look for the shot. So you can kind of you know maybe you play like a zone. You maybe try to shade your defense. You you toss a lot of doubles at. Get, get the ball to KD in Kyrie's hands. But, yeah, if you're looking at trying to counter KD with with the Justin Holiday or Derek Culver, like, uh, yeah, I don't really think you can have your expectations too high on, on for how, how well they limit a guy like KD. Yeah, I, I think I saw, by the way, uh, the Hawks are, as of this moment on Thursday evening, like an eight-point underdog in the game in Brooklyn, which is pretty substantial. Like, you don't – the Hawks are not going to be underdogs by that much most of the time if they are in any way healthy. Um, and granted, it's not even a back-to-back, obviously, with no travel either from New York. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you have to cross town. But uh, given that it's not a back-to-back, it's not it's not a travel situation, and you're still a, a, a point dog to a team. And Brooklyn's not, like, incredible. They've been playing better recently, but this is not like you're playing Boston or Milwaukee. It kind of paints the picture of what uh, has been happening for this Hawks team. Um, I mean, not, not to, like, totally ignore the Brooklyn game. Is there anything else that you want to point out about that before we move on? Because, like, I feel like it's kind of a straight-ahead game and that we'll see what the Hawks look like personnel-wise with Hunter. We'll see if they can make a shot because, obviously, last night was uh, a catastrophe in that regard. But uh, anything you're, like, particularly searching for for that Brooklyn game other than just, like, to see how they compete? Um, I mean, it sounds kind of weird. I mean, so so Brooklyn started very, very poorly defensively. Like They were, yep. they were near the bottom of the league. But, like I said, the last – I haven't really looked. The last six, seven games, they, they've actually played pretty well defensively. They know they've been in the top ten, possibly borderline top five, I think, finding the role for, for Simmons. They tried him at, like, a small ball five. He's not it's not really his role. They've been starting Nick Claxton a lot. So you get Claxton and, um, you know, Simmons and Royce O'Neal and Perimeter. They, you know, they, they, they guard pretty well. Um, you know, obviously the Hawks have had trouble stretching them, stretching the floor, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but – you know, I think, you know, a lot of focus is on KD and the other side of the court it is a big worry as well. Like, how are the Hawks going to be able to score on 
on a team when, you know, with a lot of good you know, perimeter defenders, they got a couple good interior defenders, you know, KD's got a lot of length, like, um, you know, eight point, eight point dog sounds about right. It's kind of funny because the Nets, I believe are 14 and 12, the Hawks are 13 and 12. Like they're like identical in the standings. And yet, you know, even with, you know, obviously taking into account the, the home court situation, like so it's a big line, but definitely say it's justified. Like, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's like you, you kind of look at the teams and just don't think that the, the Hawks quite have the horses to, to really compete with the, this Nets team with, you know, getting all their stars, you know, healthy and, and playing well. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. All right, we're going to zoom out in a second with some talk about how the Hawks have looked in the aggregate as well as uh, last night in New York. But first, it were from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. And these days, every single potential hire that you're looking for, like a high-stakes wager for your small business, you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs lets you find the right people for your team. They help you do it faster, and they do it for free. I've had to hire a few times in the last couple of years. LinkedIn Jobs has been awesome for me. It's really easy to create a free job post at LinkedIn Jobs, and they have high-quality candidates that you need to locate the best possible hire. And then once you're set up, add the job in the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're actually hiring and there are simple tools like screening questions that are make it really really very easy for you let's just say to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience that you need to quickly prioritize who you like to interview and eventually hire finish the year strong with linkedin jobs and finding the right team member is a key piece of doing just that it's why small businesses rate linkedin jobs number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors linkedin jobs lets you find a qualified candidate that you're looking for and that you, you actually want to talk to and they help you to do it faster, and they help you to do it for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MBA. One more time, that is linkedin.com slash MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Wes, let us talk a little bit about just the general state of the Hawks. Uh, they are 13 and 12 at this moment. They've lost five of the last seven. Uh, they are 21st in offense and 13th in defense. That split has been a controversy all season long of note. <laughs> They had the same record as last year, which, you know, they ended up making the playoffs last year. But uh, obviously, no one was thrilled about last season's performance. And uh, notably, I would say they have a much worse profile. Like their net rating is like three and a half points worse right now than it was a year ago at this time. They had uh, obviously last year was like COVID challenged in a way this year hasn't been. And they're also now entering a stretch as they kind of did last year, too. But with some serious injury questions with Collins and Murray. And by the way, they also traded three draft picks, including two unprotected picks to get to John Murray only to have a team that through 25 games is probably worse than it was a year ago. So we'll get into like kind of where that, where that goes, but uh, what are your vibes? Like, I know I joked earlier about the, the fan base. It seems like things are uh, quite negative for a team that is 13 and 12. I also understand why, because the most recent play has not been great. And uh, clearly the offense is not firing all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to lie, the fives are pretty bad. I mean, um, sure, you know me. I'm, I'm still a fan at heart. I try to <laughs> cover the team objectively as possible. You know, when I run for PG Hoops, I try to be objective. I try to look at the game objectively. But, you know, still part of me that, you know, I, I, I agreed with the rationale behind the DeJounte Murray trade, for example. But, you know, that's it's something where you've got to play in long term, like, because you're, you're trading picks, you're not trading a pick this year, you're trading picks in what, 2025, a pick swap in 26, and a pick swap in a unprotected in 2027. Like, yep. you've got to have a plan for long term. For one, you know, Murray's going to be a free agent after the next season. So, yeah, con- 
you you would think the Hawks are going to have to go a little bit above and beyond, make sure you retain him to try to save face from that trade. And, you know, that might command a, you know, a large, you know, almost max deal, if not a max deal. Um, but as far as this season goes, like, um, I think the idea was try to be a more balanced team, try to get more defense. And, and like you said, the defense is 13th and the offense is 21st. Like, they kind of swung in the complete opposite direction. They've, they've lost so many of their good offensive pieces. Um, uh, I think there's just a lot of inconsistency, and, and I mentioned it with the youth on this team. Sometimes that's good. You got a lot of young contributors, but um, at the same time, I think with everyone except for the exception of, of say, AJ Griffin, who's a rookie, like we, we've been able to see in a pretty good window of you know, how they start and, and where they're going. You know, for the Hawks to be a good team, for them to raise their ceiling and, um, you know, try to create this kind of long-term, you know, competitiveness, you need you need to pan out your draft picks, like, especially relative where you picked them. Like, so, you know, you go back to, say, 2019, where, where you draft um, Cam Reddish, you, you trade up picks to get Hunter, you know, Reddish no longer a member of the team, and, you know, Hunter just signed a long-term extension, but... Um, you know, certainly he's playing decently well, but there's always questions about the value of that extension. Like, is he gonna, is he gonna match that? Um, you got a guy like, um, you know, Kongwu and Jane Johnson. Uh, those guys have been mixed in performance. So I think there's a lot of trepidation that, you know, the Hawks are out of this rebuilding part. You know, they're not gonna have a high draft pick. Like there's, don't really see scenarios where they get, you know, a top 10 draft pick going forward. They're, they're always gonna try to fight for the playoffs and. Um, so either you got to really hit on them. So, so maybe a guy like AJ Griffin at number 16, you got to really hit on that and that can raise your ceiling. You can be, he can have, he can be a contributor at a cheap price. Um, if not like the, the situation with the Hawks is, you know, you're kind of looking at a, just a middling team to, to be quite frank, like, you know, that's, that's sort of the place you don't want to be in the NBA. If, if you're, if you, if you want, you know, your team, you're a fan of the team, you want them to compete at some point. You don't want them to, to be middling. You know, that's that's kind of a criticism of, you know, Hawks teams in the past. I was, was going to say, if, 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 yeah. if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. I, yeah, I figured uh, you'd bring it up. <laughs> you, you and I have been around for a long time following this team. And, like, that was – other than not having a star, I think there were, there were two main complaints about those Hawks teams that were, you know, perennial four to six seeds in that range. And it was, number one, we don't have a superstar. And number two – you know, what is this range? Like no, teams don't want to be in that range. Now, granted, it's better than being like where the wizards are, where they're like a perennial 10 seed. Like that's worse to be in. But like, right. if you're the perennial six seed, perennial seven seed, like, yeah, that's not, that's not the worst place to be. But part of the appeal of this was that it's supposed to be a little bit more high upside that when you have Trey on board and now you trade for a guy in Murray. And um, I actually got multiple people today. And I think they were kidding. I think talking about uh maybe the possibility of like, tearing down in season and try to go for women yama and it's like man we, we're, we're already here it's 13 and 12 they're it's, it's victor time yeah. no i mean they're not they're not going to do that don't, don't get me wrong uh barring some other crazy injuries they're not going to do that but yeah it's uh it's definitely nearing that point now at least in the in the short term where all of the maybe somewhat rational fears of this rebuild are coming coming home and that you know where you didn't want to be is kind of where they are at this moment. And I think that doesn't close the door on the upside long-term. And you do, you do have a superstar in Trey as we'll get to in a second. He's not playing all that well this year, which is part of the problem, but I don't know, man, like 
it's, this is kind of the uh, the season where it's you're prone to hot takes after 20, 25 games. But uh, you know, I get it though. Like like you said about the fandom thing earlier. Like if you're a fan, this is not the product that you want. It, in part because you almost rather be bad than this. And I think they're not choosing the, between those two things, but it, it, it can be maddening when you are just hanging around the middle and with no like end in sight. I think this team has more of a positive spin than that. So that's a positive thing, but like you can't rely on hitting on every single mid, mid first round pick. Like they have, they've had a lot of success in that 15 to 20 range from the draft, including AJ right. this year. But uh, you know, generally speaking, the, the guys that have to lead this are not those guys. It's going to have to be Trey. It's going to have to be all that capital they use on DeJounte, et cetera, in order to kind of swing higher. And um, through 25 games, they're like not on pace to do that. At least, at least not for now, at least not for now. And part of the appeal of getting Murray now and kind of the all in nature of that move was to win immediately. We could talk about all day long, like where they hang handicap themselves with the other moves, but they definitely kind of made an all in move on one hand and then not on the other. And that's kind of doesn't really work. Um, yeah. Short term. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I can't I can't let this go without mentioning oh, yeah. it. But part of <laughs> part of the vibes thing is, uh, you know, kind of elephant in the room. What you know, they trade for Murray, but they have to cut costs at that point, right? The, the ownership. Well, I, I just say they, they, they don't have to. Okay. They don't have to. They, they, they don't choose have to, to. But they've chosen to. <laughs> and part of the part of the part of the issue is, okay, you trade a guy like Kevin Herter, which, you know, at the time, you know, both me, you, a lot of Hawks, you know analysts and, and bloggers and people who follow Hawks were like, this is uh this is not really too competitive a move. And then he's he's in Sacramento this year, having essentially a career year. Um, you know, that that kind of contributes to that kind of like, you know, the downer vibes, the the, the poor vibes we're having in, in the fan base here. You're you're looking at like, well, we had Herder signed to a cheap cheap for for his role, like long term deal, four years. Um, you know, kind of just gave him up essentially for first round pick and some to marginal players, like, you know, what are we doing here? Like, that was – you're supposed to hold on to your young players and, and kind of have them grow together uh, as they develop. And if you're you're selling that off for, you know, financial reasons, like, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. Obviously, it just it's kind of incongruent in a lot of ways. And we've all talked about that, but it is – it's part of the story of a season. Like, that they did this kind of uh, – perpendicular pass. I'm not even sure what the way that to describe it is like on one hand, you're doing one thing and the other <laughs> hand, you're doing the other. Uh, who knows? Um, okay. Like from, from there, like the offense, we talked about a lot and I don't want to go down the entire rabbit hole here, but you know, last night's game, the game in, in New York, if you're listening to this podcast later on was an outlier, even by this year's standards and how bad they shot the basketball. I said this on the show yesterday, but, uh, the only two guys who shot well from three hilariously were Vete Krejci and Jalen Johnson, who are two of the worst shooters on the roster. Um, those guys were, shot three of three, and the rest of the team was three of 33 from three-point range. Uh, I, know, I know you went to Georgia Tech, Wes. That, that math does not check out, three of 33. Uh, um, yeah. You don't want all let that me, to Let happen. me push that to my calculator, and yeah. it's not going to It's bad. It's bad, I'll tell you that. Um, and look, I've said it a lot, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of the way and ask you, like, you know, last last night was again an outlier, and I think that the good thing about last night was that three guys in particular, who all are good shooters, took a lot of threes. They just happened to miss them all. You know, uh, Trey, Bogey, and AJ were responsible for like half the attempts last night. That's not a bad place to be. Those guys can all make shots. They all will make shots. But uh, you know, they continue to be last in the league and that and shot profile metrics, and they're 29th in the league at three pointers attempted and uh, 29th in the league three point three pointers made. 
Boogie will help, but like, is that how high is on the list of things that concern you about this roster is like just kind of the offensive process because we know that this team is not built to be 21st in offense, and you know there are different things to get into, but how much of uh, how much of it is the where they're shooting the ball from and kind of what they're doing on offense, like ball movement wise and system wise? Yeah, I mean to be completely honest, it, it's probably at the top of the list. Uh, the when you talk about offensive process and where you're getting your shots from, I mean. I haven't looked at it recently, but yeah, I'm sure the Hawks are still two or you know top three in mid-range shots, and then bottom five and you know percent of shots they're taking from the three and percent of shots they're getting at the rim. Like there, there's just an upper limit with with that shot that like like mid-range shots. Just the math is they're just less efficient than than those other two areas of the court. I mean, you can't just get to the rim. You can't just shoot threes. Like basketball doesn't work like that. You have to actually like you know, get there and scheme it up and, you know, move around and shift the defense to, to do that. But, you know, for, first of all, the reliance on the mid-range is, you know, it'll kind of lift your floor. You're able to get clean shots. I mean, honestly, the Hawks have three of the best mid-range shooters in the game right now between uh, Murray, Hunter, and, and Trey. Like, if you look at where they are relative to how the rest of the league shoots mid-range jumpers, like, they're – all of them are, you know, 75th percentile and better. Like they're all, they're all up there, but you know, the offense is still 21st. They're, they're not taking a lot of threes. Um, some of that is, some of it's just, just plain bad luck. Like, like you and me know, like we've watched, you know, Trey Young his whole career. Yeah, he takes a lot of difficult threes, but he's, he's better than a 29% shooter from three. Like he's yes, he'll improve on that. Like as time goes on, you know, even even some teams that were bad, like the. You know, 2019, 2020 Hawks teams, they were bad. They didn't have a ton of spacing, but, you know, Trey was still an all-star that year. Like, there's no reason to think he can't get back to that or blame, you know, the spacing on the floor and, and the other players. Um, same with John Collins. Like, he's, he's what, a 38% shooter from three? Like, he, he's that's going to improve in time. Like, there's you – know, there, There's been some outlier, some outlier stuff there. I mean, th- those are the two great examples. And, you know, Trey in general, like – I don't know the whole there's a whole trade discussion we can have but uh, I, I cut you off but it's it is it is a reminder like there are those are really the only two guys who were like outlier bad from three this year um are <clears throat> are collins and trey but like no one's shooting well from three like compared to their normal baseline maybe aj you could yeah. say is up there but that's he's like the only one everybody else is like even the holidays are like right in the middle or below their normal averages like no one's making shots yeah i mean some of that i pointed i actually pointed out this morning and in the Slack discussion we're having, like, I've noticed defenses playing these this Hawks team differently than years past. Like, there's there's, oh, there's yeah. been a lot of zone defense, a lot of matchup zones, a lot of two three zones. Um, you you know, some teams like Miami um, and Toronto have been have been showing the bigs that trade when it comes off screens. But most teams, if you don't have a you know a lot of switchable um, big men defenders, they just drop in. They're dropping their bigs. Um, Especially when DeJounte's coming off screens, like um, DeJounte in particular is just not getting to the rim. He, he, he's shooting his a career high percentage of his shots from the mid range. Like we know he loves loves to get to the elbow, but a lot of that's the product of teams are playing him to, hey, you know, we'll, we'll we'll drop our big, we'll give you that elbow jumper all day if you want, but you know we're gonna we're gonna drop the big, we're gonna protect the paint, we're gonna we're gonna chase off the good close uh, the close out on the good shooters. And then we're going to leave the Jared Culver's and the, um, you know, the Trent Forrest's and, and the Vic Crages open from three and dare you to beat 
day to beat us and the, the Hawks just start making them pay. Like some of that is, you know, like I said, personnel driven. Um, you know, I think, like I said, teams, teams know that the Hawks are willing to shoot a lot of mid-range, turn down threes and shoot a lot of mid-range shots. So they're, they're kind of giving it to them. And, um, you know, as a result, like that, you know, they're, they'll live in with, with the mid-range shots and the Hawks are turned down a lot of threes. And there's just, like I said, there's just an upper limit with, with that percentage of shots that you're getting from mid-range compared to the other areas of floor that, you know, I, I don't know how you feel to, you know, like a, a number two defense, a number two offense like the Hawks had last year. I don't know how you do that with, with the makeup of the roster and, and the schematics, the, the, the schemes that, that teams are throwing at them. I want to pivot and ask you about Trey in particular, because I think the last few days, probably stemming from the the now reported incident about with, between him and Nate and him not coming to the game and all that stuff and his his sort of combative press conference that he did locally in Atlanta. I, I want to kind of push that to the side unless you want to bring it back up and just talk about like his basketball stuff this year, because, you know, in addition to the poor shooting as a team and he's part of that, you know, Trey is having his worst season since his rookie year so far. Uh, and that's, doesn't mean it's going to happen moving forward. Like it's not like Trey's at an age where he's going to like be declining. Like I don't think anybody should be too worried about Trey in general. But he's not playing well. Like he, his effective field goal percentage is forty six percent. He's shooting forty seven percent on twos. Like that's a really bad number for him. Um, the passing numbers are still there. He's still a fantastic, wonderful passer. I think he's still underrated as a passer. But you know, I said today that I think Clint has been their MVP this year, and that's like kind of an indictment of Trey. It's also praise of Clint. But this is Trey Young's team. He's the best player on the team. And, like, I don't want to overstate it. He still has a lot of value in just the way he's defended and the way he can sort of create and pass for others. But he's not having a good season. I think that is a a big part of why the Hawks are not performing well. And there are reasons for it, like like what you just laid out, the lack of space. That makes life harder on Trey in particular because he is small and 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 he is passing to guys who are just missing shots. But even individually, like it has to be said, he's just not playing as well as he's supposed to play. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely part of the problem. I mean, um, I think, you know, a lot of the talk was, okay, when you acquire a guy like DeJounte Murray, um, you need to find a way where, you know, they both can't have the ball. You need to find a way where, where guys are, guys are moving out the ball or spacing, spacing the floor and playing off one another. You know, that's still a work in progress. You know, obviously with DeJounte out going forward, it, it, you know, it, things will have to change a little bit. But um, the other thing I mean, is just, like I said, the difficulty of shots he's, he, he takes. He likes to, you know, you know pull from long range. And, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, I think it's a lot of it's just, uh, you know, Trey, Trey's a guy who, who wants to – he obviously always feels like he has a chip on his shoulder. He wants to kind of prove himself. So, you know, even when he's having a bad game, like he still wants to, you know, try to force the issue um, – I think I looked his, you know, you know, generally he gets to the rim well. Like you said, he's shooting 42, 47% from two. Like he's, he's generally a very good finisher at the rim, but he's last I checked in like the bottom fifth percentile of uh, finishers at the rim, like down there with, with guys like, you know, Fred Van Vliet who never get to the rim. And yep. like I said, I it's think a lot of it is, a lot of it is schematic. A lot of teams are packing the paint and they're, they're coming off and, you know, making sure they drop guys, making sure to, um, Another thing I've noticed, a lot of help defenders. So if you're helping on a guy in the corner, I see them shading in like with the foot in the paint, essentially. So, you know, Trey or whoever beats beats their guy, like they're they're right there to help at the rim. Um, so, 
but I think, like I said, I think a lot of it is is just kind of the process of getting to use to this team. Like they're stri- they're trying to run the same scheme they always run. They're trying to run the, you know, the the spread pick and roll with the really high screens. But um, it's been difficult when, you know, defenses are trying to take that away. The Hawks don't really have many options to counter. You know, generally you would like to short roll off of those screens when when defenses are are being aggressive and find a shooter shooter open somewhere, but the Hawks don't really have that ability. Um, I think I've seen kind of Trey, like like you said, maybe maybe not trust his teammates as much and try to ISO, um, you know, just like that, just like that, uh, that kind of chaotic game in Houston earlier where he well, and yeah, he that was... going back and forth. Like, <laughs> yeah, he and Murray decided to ha- have a one-on-one contest in the fourth quarter of that game, which was not – not fantastic by anybody uh, involved in that one. But, yeah, I mean, just to, by the way, back you up, I pulled the numbers from cleaning the glass while you were talking about the rim numbers and stuff. He's having his worst season at the rim since he was a rookie. He's shooting 54% at the rim this year, which is down from, like, 56, 59, that kind of – like, he's 25th percentile at the rim this year. That's obviously not good. Um, his floater range is still what it's always been. He's a very good floater range shooter. But the other spot, in addition to three-point range, too. So three-point range, way down. Rim, way down. And then his long twos are way down. Last year, he shot an unsustainably good 52% on long twos. That's like a Kevin Durant number. Like no one shoots that other than like KD and maybe Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Like only the elite of the elite in that range ever shoot anywhere near there. And that was kind of outlier high for Trey because the year be- the two years before that, he was in the mid-40s, which is actually still pretty good. That's still above average mid-40s. This year, he's 38% on long twos. So, yeah. like, I, I think he's going to shoot better than that long term, just as I do from three point range. But, like, I think it's probably some regression, too, because the areas where he really, really, really exploded last year, which was, you know, all three point range compared to previous years, and then long twos and rim attempts, he had, season, he had career highs basically in all those spots. And now they're like basically career lows. And, like, the truth's in the middle somewhere, obviously, on that. But uh, we'll see what they actually bounce back to. But it's, it's hard for him to sustain because. He is six one. Like he, he doesn't have the same kind of pass to certain shots that someone who's six six is going to have. Like that's why his floater is so important, and why it's encouraging he's still making floaters. It's just everything else right now. Yeah, yeah. He definitely needs to. Yeah, definitely rely on the floater game. And I mean, I think. I mean, I think. I, I like you said. He he is a good mid range shooter. He's a good long range shooter. Yeah. Um. Some some of it is just kind of, you know, maybe a cumulative effect. Like, um. You know, I think I think eventually things will turn around. He'll get used to that. As far as at the rim, like I said, I think defenses are kind of content to just give give the Hawks as many long shots as they want. So so that may not improve as much as years past, but just way uh, less space. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just as simple. Like if you do, if you just do the geometry of the court, if guys are not guarding his perimeter players as far out he doesn't have as much room. And that was, that was the underrated part of the discussion over the summer. Cause like, I know I banged the drum. I know you, we, we probably all talked about it, about like not quite having the same dynamism from shooters from Herder to Gallo to whatever, even from bogey until now that he's back. But that's number one is like not having those, those guys making shots and taking them out there. The other part is that defense just pack the paint on you. And like, that makes life hard, especially for someone like Trey, who's used to operating with a bunch of space. Now he has less of it. And that's, I think part of the reason, Again, part of it's just him missing shots, but some of that has to be attributed to him just having a little bit less space and not being as comfortable. And that's that's just the intrinsic part of the game that you can't like say uh, for sure. But when you're playing with Jared Culver and Vic Krejci, 
compared to Kevin Herter and Daniel Gallinari, like you're being defended differently. You just are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, it, it, it'll take some time. I mean, I think, you know, obviously there's some understanding of, you know, you know, how, where your teammates like to be on the sports of the court, you know, spots on the court and things of that nature like that. That stuff's important, especially now with guys going in, guys going out with injury, like it's going to probably be even more of a process. So, um, like I said, I don't know if there's a way to, to tweak the scheme where, where maybe instead of doing your, your high pick and rolls, maybe you do more slot pick and rolls, um, you know, try to isolate them on the weak side or, or things of that nature. You know, those things can come from the coaching staff, but just something to get, get him more comfortable because, like I said, I think it's kind of the effect of, you know, he's, he's kind of frustrated. He's not, he's not playing up to his standard and, you know, he tends to, you know, try to get it all back at once and, and things of that nature, like. Um, so, uh, you know, I can't really speak to what's in his head, but, no. um, it, it definitely is, it's not something that, you know, something that I don't think I can just solely blame it on, you know, just regressive shooting from deep and things of that nature. Like, I think, I think there's probably some things that need to happen as far as, you know, spacing the floor more from, from the, the other players, the, the ancillary players and, um, possibly even schematic, like where he starts his pick and rolls from. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're trying to be an optimist, which I know I'm not an optimist, although I, someone did say on Twitter, on, uh, on YouTube today that they thought I was being paid by the Hawks to be optimistic West, which I know you find that funny knowing me pretty well. You are uh, a shill of the Hawks. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's very funny for longtime listeners that think I'm too negative. Uh, now I'm apparently too positive for saying this guy's not indeed falling. Um, but anyway, I, I think that maybe, maybe and I'm not saying this as a negative at all for trying to because I've actually said those guys, and it's still the case when they play together, the numbers are still pretty good. It's whether it's when they're not playing together, the numbers have kind of fallen off this year, but maybe Trey gets comfortable because they might just go back to more of what they used to run, which is like Trey one dive man and spacing, especially now that bogey's back, they can put, they can put some lives out there with bogey and AJ and Trey. And that's more like what it used to be like for Trey, like schematic wise. And also just like geometry wise on the court. So Maybe that gets him going a little bit in the next couple of uh, of games. I know I know he uh, missed practice today. I guess he wasn't feeling uh, feeling great in in New York. So maybe, but he's not on the injury report. So I assume he's going to play on Friday unless it gets worse. We'll see how that all goes. Um, but yeah, long story short, Trey's going to. I think he's going to make shots. We agree on that. Uh, how many he makes and how quickly he starts to make them was uh, pretty important when trying to evaluate this Hawks team. Um, I do want to before we get out of here. I do want to at least take a second because of the all the doom and gloom to just like ask you one thing, Wes, and that is name something, anything, anything in the world that's gone well for the Hawks this year. What's gone well? I, mean, I think, yeah, I think like? the easy answer is, <laughs> I think the easy answer is having AJ Griffin fall to 16 to them. Like that helps. I, we, we, I think we both agree. Like I, I had AJ like, you know, well into the top 10. I think I had him, you know, maybe kind of eight, just, just doing my, you know, rudimentary scouting of, of some of the draft prospects coming in the draft. So, Seen him at 16. I know there were some injury, some some health issues, and you know he didn't look he didn't look super explosive at Duke, especially defensively. But you knew he could, you knew he could shoot it. You knew he had a little bit of a handle and his nature. And you know Hawks Hawks grabbed him. You know he's he's ramped up, and now he's like at a, a crucial part of the rotation. Um, if you look at any rookie rankings, you know pretty common to see him in the top five of you know best rookies in, in the NBA. Um, you know, decent chance he makes, you know, rookie first team. So to get a guy like that, 16th, like, like I said, you, you need those wins from, from the discussion we had earlier. Like you need those wins to be able to 
really turn out guys in, in the middle to lower part of the, the first round. Um, certainly it's early in, in its rookie season. So, you know, you can't really sing his praises too, too high, but I think it's, it's looking like a big win, looking like a big steal on draft day. And it looks like he'll be like a really important part of the Hawks going forward, not just this season, but, you know, provide, provide them some spacing that they desperately need, uh, among other things. Yeah, I think that is that is the correct answer. If you're trying to list like the most positive organizational thing for this season, it is the drafting and development and early signs of AJ Griffin. I, I agree with that. I mean, other than that, like you're looking at, uh, I think the way Clint's played would be high on the list. I think Clint looking like he has looked um, is encouraging for if the rest of the team figures it out, they have that to work with because, you know, we've kind of all said this, but uh, the best version of the Hawks kind of has to include Clint being awesome because they built the entire thing around him defensively. And he's a big part of, of why they're above average defensively this year. I mean, the, lo- the list though, is not that long, honestly. Like I-, I was trying to like list some stuff that was like actually good this year. I think the defense in general, you could say it's probably been a positive because they're above average. Like last year, they were truly terrible for like most of the season defensively, like right. truly bad. And now they're, I don't think they're good with a capital G on defense, but they're like solid defensively now yeah. without hunter and collins both probably not gonna be very good but as long as if, hunter, if hunter's back soon they're better off with hunter defensively there's a whole competition about, about his offense but i think defensively he definitely helps them and uh we've seen that when they have their guys the defense has been pretty good and you know just not to go down the negative path but there's a ceiling on this defense because of the personnel like if you have trey in particular and then even guys like bogey who he's kind of lost a step defensively like they can't be elite defensively i don't think but if they're pretty good that's like a pretty big win overall and i think a lot of that goes to clinton maybe some john i think clinton number one and then collins number two on that on that in terms of like just value defensively less than hunter somewhere in there too yeah yeah that's important i mean you know john collins like um you know past couple of years like when you compare his, especially his defense to his first years in the league, oh, yeah. like, you know, it's, it's it's been pretty stark. Like he's he's legitimately one of the better defensive fours in, in basketball. I know, you know, obviously his his offense has fallen off a little bit this year, but I think that'll rebound. But you know, that's like I said, I pulled the you pulled the numbers and John Collins, Clint Capella front court is just great net rating. It's especially great in, in defensive rating given up. Um, so I mean that's that's the solid foundation. That's that's kind of what you need again when you have, like you said, obviously a small guard and Trey. Even Dejounte's six four. He's got a big wingspan. But when you build it, when you build a team around two small guards, like you've got to have that front line, um, kind of be able to cover from them if they're giving up, you know, rim penetration. Like um, so, so that I would say, you know, obviously Capello's having a fantastic year defensively, but him plus. John Collins plus Dodger Hunter, who's still solid defensively. Like that's something that I think is sustainable. You know, that's that's something that I think they can sustain through that whole whole year. They may not be top ten def- defense, but definitely a good chance, very good chance. I think they'll be above average defensively. Yeah, my, my, I'll give you my, my favorite number uh, on that front to be positive again. Um, of all of the two man lineups, so basically uh, these two guys are together on the court. Um, the Hawks have a bunch of lineups that have played at least 200 minutes together um, of two different players. The best two-man lineup that the Hawks have this year is Capella and Collins. They're plus right. 5.9 net rating with Collins and Capella on the court. 107 defensive rating, which is very, very, very good. And uh, 
for all the talk about how those guys don't fit together for the last three years, they just always seem to play well when they have Collins and Cabello on the court. Uh, and it's mostly defensively, and we, it'd be helpful if John made, made, made some jump shots when he comes back. But uh, that, that has definitely worked out for sure. Um, listen, I, I think we painted a not, not a terribly grim picture on this podcast, but it's a, it's a realistic one. I do want to, before we, before we go, this will be the last thing I promise I will not take any more of your time. Um, the injury stuff is what it is. They'll see, we'll have to, we'll have to see how they navigate it. There is a little bit of a schedule respite coming next week. And of course, as soon as I said that Hawks fans were like, well, does it even matter who they play because they've lost to some bad teams recently. And I get that, but they do have a run with like, it's like six games in a row where they play like Houston and Orlando. And uh, it's really soft. Detroit's in there. Um, that, that should give you a little bit of optimism. I'm going to ask you this now, Wes, like compared to where we were, let's say two months ago when the season was starting, uh, I'm assuming you don't feel quite as good because most people don't, but how much has your opinion changed and like, what's your outlook looking like taking everything into account, like knowing that Murray's going to be out for two weeks, at least Collins another week and a half or so, at least like, how are you feeling? Is this, is this a play-in team? Like where's your projection looking as of, de- as of December 8th with 57 games to go? Yeah, I would definitely say about a playing team. I mean, like I said, I think things will get better. Like, I think the shooting will rest to some degree. Like, they're just, you know, just kind of has to. This is actually, like, you know, long-range shooting is, is kind of one of the last things that, that regresses um, during a season. So, um, and obviously the injuries, I mean, you know, put put a little bit more of a silver lining on it. Like, you know, the injuries to, to Collins and, and Murray, you know, kind of knock on wood, they're, they're considered short-term injuries. Like, they'll be back within, you know, two weeks or so, like, you don't have any like long-term injuries hanging over them that, you know, this guy's going to miss half a season, you know, hopefully. So, you know, they have a chance to actually get really healthy, you know, um, maybe they, they just kind of tread water. Like you said, they're playing an easier part of schedule this, um, the next, next two weeks or so that they can tread water, um, kind of work out some of these issues and, and go from there. Like they've, they've essentially done this the past two seasons where they started out middling. Well, two seasons ago, they started out, pretty pretty poor um yeah. a lot of that was, was kind of collapses in the fourth quarter but you know they were pretty middling last year they had a bunch of covid illnesses so um turned it around got into the playoffs had to go through the play-in you know that's that's probably something i would look towards this year like um there's still a lot of talent on this on this team like i i, I don't think you can convince me that this is this is not one of the better talented teams in in the nba in the east like it's def- definitely you know top half as far as just pure talent so when you just kind of rely on that talent, like you said, you've got a you've got a star player in Trey Young. He's been a two-time All Star. You got Murray's been an All Star. Like you feel like eventually they'll figure it out. It's a long season. Um, so so I think I think right now you're looking at the play-in, but you know, it wouldn't really surprise me if they kind of clicked and turned it on the second half, just because they've done that the past two seasons. Yeah, and that's I think instructive and. I certainly do not feel as positively now as I did even a week or two ago, honestly, versus two weeks versus two months ago, just because of the injuries and some of the losses that they've piled up against like teams. They should like that Houston loss is a bad one. There's been some bad ones along the way. OKC is not a great loss on Monday, et cetera. But like even now, like let's say as an example, 538 as of tonight has the Hawks with a 76% chance to make the playoffs. And that's the top eight by the end. So part of that's part of that's playing and all that. But like, you know, that's seems reasonable to me. I think there are uh, at least five teams, maybe six teams that I think are like solidly better than the Hawks right now in the East in terms of projection because of all the injuries the Hawks have. And then you get into that and that, into that groove with 
you know, what's Miami this year? I have no idea. Miami's not playing super well. Um, there's still like space to your point about the Hawks. Like if they just get right for a few weeks, there's an easy path to the seven to the seventh seed, if nothing else, something like that. So uh it's been a roller coaster. I don't think that anybody's feeling fantastic, and that includes the Hawks. Like they don't seem to be super happy to bring things full circle. The fan base is not happy. The Hawks are not super happy right now, but they're definitely in just like hold the line mode. Like steal a win or two with Collins and Murray out. I don't know if Friday's the one that I would pick, but even then, like that's a winnable game. They're underdogs for sure, and rightfully so in, in Brooklyn uh, against the full strength Nets. But like obviously the next the Nets are not the most like picture of consistency either. So if they don't show up, if the Hawks have one finally have one good shooting night, that'd be very helpful. Uh, Bogey's back. That definitely helps things. We should mention that um, again. He's not shooting well so far, but like I have no concern about Bogey making shots. So him being there is very helpful too. So we'll see. And uh, I don't know, Wes, I don't know what we accomplished in the last 45 minutes, but basically the Hawks are uh, hovering around 500 and Nobin's thrilled. There you go. Yeah, we gave them a mixed picture there, but, you know. Well, that's what it is. It's a mixed picture. That's that's, that's the real picture. So then we gave them a, a good picture of it. We did. We absolutely, we absolutely provided that. Um, all right. Well, thank you for all the time, Wes. Please uh, plug yourself. If people are not watching on YouTube, they can't see us. But if they are, you can see Wes's Twitter handle on the screen. But uh, share with, with people, Wes, and where you're writing. And I know you're uh, active at Peachtree Hoops and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Blockhawk. Um, try to tweet along. If not, I'm tweeting at the, the PG Hoops um, account uh, most game days. Um, I'm also, of course, writing at PG Hoops. So so be sure to visit the website. Um, yeah. And uh, be sure to follow me. And um, long season. We, we still got a long way to go. And hope you stay tuned <laughs> to, to the Hawks. Long season for sure. Uh, I, I will say this after Sunday's game which is uh, the Hawks are back at home against Chicago. That's the one-third mark of the season. That's that's game 27. That's 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 the one-third mark. So, so sometimes Saturday, so, so I guess Sunday night will be like the, the third mark of the season. So there's still a long way to go. 57 yeah. more games, buckle up. It's funny because it felt like the season had just started, but then the past couple of weeks it felt like everything's like just dragged like on, like over. the season taking forever. Like just yeah. That's just how it switches. <laughs> We're into December, and that's that's part of the fun. All right. Well, thank you, Wes, for being here. I definitely encourage everybody to check out Wes's work and also the whole crew over at Peachtree Hoops, where I no longer work, but I still uh, support at a high level. Uh, please follow this podcast across platforms. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, uh, Google Play, all those places, as well as YouTube. Follow me if you'd like to on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the old Patreon at patreon.com slash BT Roland. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you all after the game on Friday.